What's up, everybody? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hello, welcome to episode 119 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 119, we've got a special guest from the band Kitty. Morgan Lander will be joining us. Kitty is in Pittsburgh on August 23rd to play Altar Bar. Um, There are uh, several other bands on the bill that night, including... Dirge Within, Diamond Plate, Fight Machine, Patron Saint, and River Run Scarlet. So Aaron had a chance to talk to Kitty. Kitty has a new album coming out, and uh, who better to learn more about it than right from Morgan herself. So before we get into that, we're going to play a song from a band called Crown the Loss. This is a song um, that was sent to us. These guys have got several shows coming up in the uh, next, call it month, August 25th, they'll be playing The Smiling Moose. September 2nd, they'll be playing the 31st Street Pub. September 17th, they're going to be playing the Smiling Moose, and also again on the 30th at the Smiling Moose. So this is Crown the Loss, and then we'll get into the interview with Morgan Land. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to our show today, uh, Morgan Lander of Kitty. How you doing, Morgan? Doing really, really well. What's going on? Not too much, not too much. Now, I know you guys are cur- currently on tour, and um, you will be here in Pittsburgh on August 23rd performing at the Elser Bar. Yeah, we're very excited about it. It's been a while since we've been there, so uh should uh, be a good time, you know? Yeah. Debut some new songs and play some old favorites, and just a good old rock show. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited to see what, what you guys do when you come through to, um, town here. Now, you guys have a new album due out at the end of this month called I Failed You, right? Yes, we do. It's, uh, it comes out August 30th via E1 Records, and uh, we're really, really excited about it. It's been a few years since we've released an album, and uh, you know, the past couple of years have been working really hard. Uh, you know, done a, did a ton of touring, uh, did a, uh, quite a few support slots, went to Europe, and then you know, came home and, and uh, got to work on this new album and, uh, you know, had a blast writing and recording it. So we're very excited to, to you know, get it out there and, and uh, finally see things through. Well, and that's awesome. And I tell you what, the couple of tracks that I've gotten here have been great. It, it amazes me just how you guys keep getting better and better with each album. This new album, I Failed You, it's really, you know, it's, it's your best work to date. You guys just keep getting better and better with every record. And I really want to talk about the process of this record. Like, for starters, what, what influenced this record? What drove it? Um, well, uh, honestly, uh, a lot of it had to do with um, a lot of the things that I've gone through in the past couple of years. Uh, definitely didn't have, it's been a tumultuous time, uh, you know, within the band and also in my personal life. And so I sort of felt like... Uh, uh, in writing and uh, the music and the lyrics of this album, uh, I really kind of had to, you know, dig deep. And I had I had a lot to say. Um, and uh, so I guess that kind of makes it a very moody, uh, emotional, uh, very emotionally raw album. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's a reflection of uh, of a lot of the things that we've been through and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I think it's really, really super honest, and um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot more diverse than than in the black, but it uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a very personal album. Well, it has this amazing, super tight, in-your-face kind of sound. Like it's just been absolutely amazing. Um, what was the writing process like with this? Like, did you sit down by yourself, come up with a couple tunes? Was it a lot of band stuff? Um, actually, uh, we sort of, uh, took a break after, uh, we got off tour with Devil Driver. Uh, we've basically been on tour for a full year since, uh, the release of In Black. And so we took a few months off to sort of regroup and, uh, get our ideas kind of together. And at the beginning of this year, January of, uh, of 2011, we got together and decided we were going to start writing a new album. And, uh, it was just, uh, Tara and myself and Mercedes and, you know, the three of us kind of hung out in the basement at Kitty HQ. And got some riffs together and just kind of started putting all of our ideas together. And it's, it's really a very easy process uh, when we're working together as a band. Um, you know, everybody has ideas they want to bring to the table. And, and we sort of group things out and um, we just jam on them. And, and usually if a song is going to work, it's going to work really, really quickly. So it, things come together very fast. Oh, that's fantastic. Now... Who handles the uh, the main guitar duties as far as the leads? Is that you or is that Tara or do the two of you kind of trade That's off? That's Tara, definitely. Tara is the lead guitar player. You know, we uh, we definitely are um, very different in our styles. You know, Tara is, uh, you know, I guess more along the lines of like classic rock and jazz and stuff like that, heavily influenced by that. But she also listens to metal as well. And 
Um, you know, I'm sort of more the, you know, the uh, rhythm kind of, you know, fast picking kind of player or whatever. But our styles definitely complement each other, and I think it makes for the diverse nature of, of uh, what, you know, Kitty is all about. Yeah. Now, like when you talk about your, your fast picking, one of the things I noticed about this record is, first of all, there's a real sense of urgency to it. It's very in your face, but the riffs almost seem like they're more technical and more precise than the last record. Um, it do you, Was that spawned kind of like through the emotional um, bloodletting, so to speak, you were doing in writing this record, or, you know, where did that come from? Um. I mean, honestly, I think uh, the the thing about us is like with every album, we continue to improve as musicians and as songwriters. And um, I think it just has a lot to do with, you know, a full year on the road and, you know, us just wanting to, uh, you know, take things uh, a step further. And we, we tend to like to do that with every album, you know, push push our boundaries and, and uh, limits and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I mean... I guess, I guess in a way, yeah, it, it does have a lot to do with, uh, with, um, you know, the emotional aspect of, of, uh, of the writing and whatever as well. Um, but, uh, I think it's just, you know, us wanting to, you know, be, you know, more extreme, you know, uh, anything that's going to be heavy is going to be faster and, uh, more technical and anything that's, you know, melodic and, and sort of doomy is going to be more of that. And, um, you know, we just, uh, you know, we want to cover all the bases and, 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 you know, push the envelope in terms of what we're capable of. And that really came across on everything I've gotten to listen to so far. I mean, even like um, listening to Mercedes drumming, like, you know, you're all very talented musicians. And that was very evident in the previous records that you've done. But now hearing this new record, like, I just, it's amazing where you have pushed yourselves as musicians. I mean, um, Mercedes drumming is, is like machine precise, but there's still soul to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Mercedes, she definitely, uh, she definitely has her own style. She kind of plays by her own rules in terms of, of how she likes to do things. And I think, you know, her style is definitely an integral part of, of what makes us who we are. Um, as well as, you know, a lot of her arranging abilities as well. Um, you know, she, she knows, uh, when to play fast and hard. And then she also knows when to sort of pull back and, and allow the song to breathe or whatever. And I think that, you know, that's the mark of a, a good songwriter and a, a good drummer. I couldn't agree more. Now, let's talk about Empires 1 and 2. So I, I just want to say I was very impressed with the riff writing on this. Not since, like, Metallica's Battery have I heard something so clever where the guitar part starts out, like, you know, acoustic clean, kind of ominous, but still kind of pretty. And then you take that same riff and just totally put it in your face like how how did that evolution of that song come about of those two parts um, actually uh, a lot of uh, pretty much most of that song uh, was sort of uh, a demo that Tara had sort of just done on her uh, her laptop just fucking around or whatever and uh, it was uh, just an acoustic song at first and we kind of thought it would be an interesting idea to take are you there? Is yeah. The yeah connection on? Okay, good. Sorry, just saying that the connection is fucked up. Um, yeah, no, we, we kind of thought it would be an interesting idea to uh, take, um, you know, this acoustic idea, this acoustic demo that Tara had and, and sort of turn it into a two-part song. Um, and, you know, all of the riffs of both one and two are based off of, um, you know, they're sort of, they're basically the same, the same chord structure, the same arrangement. Um, and, uh, you know, everything is sort of based off that acoustic 
thing and we just thought it was a really cool idea and it made for a really really cool dynamic song no i agree it just it it really struck me just again to listen to both parts and hearing that development it was just you know really really nice now another track that really kind of grabbed me was on um it's what i've done and it was because of that bluesy bluesy guitar riff but then it's funny because it starts with this nice kind of bluesy feel and then you guys go into like these machine precise rhythms behind it but now your vocal comes in and it's as soulful as that guitar riff was so how did that come about because that was definitely an interesting combination of styles there um actually well the main riff of that song was was uh written by mercedes and while mercedes isn't necessarily uh a guitar player you know, she's not at all and not a very good one, but she does have a lot of great ideas in terms of songs. And uh, a lot of times she will hum something or like, you know, kind of like do like a mouth guitar thing. And like, we have to try to find out, you know, figure out what it is and transpose it onto the guitar. And that was actually written uh, like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's just uh, another, another, um, I guess, uh, another kind of style, another, another facet of our, of, you know, what makes up Kitty. Um, you know, uh, having melodic songs is not a new thing for the band. Um, but I think there are a lot of different influences that sort of, you know, make up, uh, you know, uh, all of our, you know, individual styles that kind of go into the writing and, and make it a whole. And for instance, you know, like the bluesy kind of thing is definitely Tara, you know, with the lead and stuff like that. Um, and I think that makes it, um, uh, you know, kind of come off a little bit more than that. But that's just, um, you know, us wearing our influences sort of, you know, on our sleeve or whatever. And I think, again, it makes for a really interesting, really dynamic uh, song and something that, uh, you know, I, we've never really done before. And I think I think a lot of people will be really into it. No, I agree. It's really, it was really um, a nice song. It really caught me, you know, and it caught my attention there at the beginning with that riff. Now, so when you guys go to the studio, how do you approach it? Do you like to have all your writing done ahead of time? Do you still kind of finish it up? How did how did that process go? Um, well, for us, recording in the studio is usually a very um, relaxed experience. Uh, the last two albums we've recorded with Siegfried Meyer, who's a really good friend of ours. Uh, we've known Siggy for about 10 years now. He actually was the assistant engineer on Oracle, so we've worked with him, you know, early on in our career and then he built himself a really amazing studio uh, a few years back and we've been recording albums there and doing projects and stuff with him ever since so because he's you know a good friend and you know we've known each other for a long time we're very comfortable around him um and uh you know there really isn't a lot of feeling of pressure when it comes to going into the studio um so uh, for the most part, we like to have things pretty much complete before we go in, just because, you know, uh, as relaxed as it is, there still is sort of a time constraint. You know, you're only pay- paying to go into the studio for three weeks or four weeks or two weeks or whatever, depending on what it is. So um, we like to be as prepared as possible, but, you know, still leave enough time uh, towards the end to uh, embellish and, you know, add a few little fun things here and there just to try to, you know, make uh, you know, build upon the layers that you've already, uh, you know, had written and, uh, you know, make it a little bit more uh, three-dimensional, which is, you know, makes makes a great album. That's what it is. So, um, 
most of the basic ideas, you know, all the riffs, all you know, all the choruses, all that stuff, all were pretty much all finished before we went into the studio. And then little things like, say, for instance, the little uh, solo at the beginning of What I Have I Done, uh, those things were added sort of like like spontaneously while we were there. That's awesome. And it's just like, yeah, it's just the creativity of the studio, you know. You have all this time, and, and once you get to hear things, you know, set in stone and as a whole, you can see and hear where the gaps are and, and uh, you know, sort of feel out what needs to be placed where and that sort of thing. And so yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's the fun of going in the studio. You know, you, you get a... You have a nice blueprint, and then when you go in there and everything is down. No, that's awesome. Now, let's talk about your gear here a little bit. Um, what guitar, well, like, I guess we'll back up here. Um, I follow you on Twitter, so I was watching when you were in the studio. I got to see some of the studio pics, and I saw some amazing guitars on the back wall. So I was curious, what is the difference between your live rig and your studio rig? Um... Well, honestly, all those, uh, the, the one shot I think that you're thinking of is actually at Figgy's studio, and those are all his guitars. He just has a bunch of stuff lying around. So, nice. I mean, while we do have uh, quite a, a, you know, a collection in terms of guitars, um, I, for me personally, I'm pretty basic when it comes to what I like to use and my particular sound. You know, I'm not really a gear nerd. I don't like to frig around too much with, you know, different amps and pedals and all that stuff um can't really fuck around with it. it you know it gets the job done and it sounds great so what are you favoring nowadays are you still playing the hammer guitars yeah yeah definitely i have uh, my uh my two hammers my, my uh hammer vectors have been uh, loyal to me for quite a few years now and uh on this tour uh i have a road king a messy road king nice um but I also have a uh, triple as well that I have, you know, uh, for backup or whatever. And, um, you know, they both sound great. And, uh, you know, that's what Tara's using as well. She's got a triple. And uh, she has um, her uh, Gibson Les Paul gold top. And she has her Michael Ackerfeld uh, PRS signature model as well that she's using. So uh, PRS makes some great guitars. Just beautiful looking yeah. instruments. <clears throat> Yeah, and they, they sound they're just phenomenal. So she's really happy with that. Um, it's a great guitar. It sounds great. So, so. Now, what do you do for um, for outboard effects? Do you have any pedals, or is it just kind of straight in the amp, get the crunch, and go? Me, for me, yeah, that's just my style. Um, I have like a noise suppressor and a tuner, and everything else is just pure, natural, angry amp distortion. That's awesome. Um, you know? For Tara, you know, being the lead guitar player and, you know, sort of doing a little bit more of the noodling, I suppose, uh, she definitely has, you know, a, a bunch of pedals on her on her pedal board, uh, of which I'm really not all that familiar with. You know, she's got, like, a wah and, you know, some Ibanez, like, bass. Pedals and, you know, stuff like that or whatever. But um, for me, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty basic when it comes to that stuff. I don't, I don't around with it. I think, you know, why try to fix something if it's, uh, it's not broken? I think it sounds good, you know, good and heavy, and uh, I don't really need much. Oh, heck yeah, that's awesome. I'm a simple kind of girl. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing when it comes to guitar, not at all. Now, Absolutely. Uh, Tara, or I'm sorry, I was thinking, thinking Tara because you were saying Tara Morgan, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, okay. But I do appreciate you coming on the show today, and I do want to make sure fans know if they're like me and can't wait to get their hands on this album, 
they can pre-order it on iTunes right now. I saw that it was on sale, seven ninety nine for a pre-sale. Yeah, great, great deal. And uh, yeah, check out. Um, I mean, you can go to kittyrocks.com to get the link there, or you know, check out our our Twitter. You know, it's official kitty or my Twitter, Morgan Kitty. Um, we all you know are posting the links everywhere. You know, Facebook, Kitty Page, any of that stuff. Uh, or just, you know, search it online and it's up there and the new album comes out August 30th. And there will also be a tangible CD pre-order link going up very soon on our website and all of our uh, social networking sites as well. So look into that. But if you uh, want to get it now and you can't wait to get your hands on the pre-order, iTunes is it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Morgan. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us again today. No problem. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. See you soon. All right.
right, the band you heard right there was called the Hitchcock Curse. Uh, you can find more information about them or uh, also Crown the Lost, the band that we went into the interview with. If you go to ironcityrocks.com, go to the podcast link. We have uh, names of the bands and all that good stuff there for you. So you can check those out. And we'd like to thank the bands for coming on the show. Uh, right now we're going to get into a new segment. Um, we had been planning to do this for quite a long time and... Uh, Aaron had a chance to get together with, uh, and I'll let him introduce the guest, but basically we're going to be doing a segment, uh, hopefully over the next several podcasts, and we would really appreciate any feedback you give us. We're going to do some stuff on recording. Uh, as many of you out there are in bands, we do have a lot of uh, local bands that listen to the show, a lot of local musicians, uh, hobbyists, and bands that play out in gigs and clubs and stuff like that. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of educate everybody on what goes on inside the recording studio even if you're not a musician maybe it's of interest but uh, we're going to be doing uh, several segments relatively short broken up into different topics related to recording what does an engineer do what is mastering you know what do you need to know before you go into the studio so Aaron was uh, awesome enough to put together this segment for us and this is the first installment of that so sit back and uh, listen and hopefully you learn something ladies and gentlemen welcome to our show we have on the line with us today Tony Maranaki, who's a producer local to the Pittsburgh area here. How are you doing today, Tony? I'm doing good. Good job on that last name. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself, maybe how you got into doing what you do? Well, I kind of just fell into it, actually. Uh, it's, it's the uh, family business, if you will. My dad was a production manager a long time ago for some bands. Uh started with Tony Orlando and Dawn, and uh, he worked with um, some other people, Yes, Rush, Kiss, Steve Miller, a bunch of people. Uh, his cousin actually got him into the business. And uh, I guess you could say my first event was in April of 76. Uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn was at the Civic Arena, and uh, my dad was already on the road with them and um, kind of helped them out that day. Uh, after high school, uh, graduated in 85, I'm a little older, uh, just jumped right up on the road. Um, I had pretty much made up my mind at that time that uh, I wanted to be a guitar player, but uh, you know, there was a lot of guitar players, not a lot of good sound men. So uh, I uh, found I had a pretty good um, ability of mixing and uh, kind of jumped into that right after high school and worked uh nonstop, so that was pretty much the way to go um i guess i got into uh the recording end uh i got a pretty good reputation as an audio engineer um and in doing so uh would work with some major acts like i said i got started with tony orlando and don with my dad and andy williams and while some of your listeners are probably going who uh Went on to other acts, uh, Bon Jovi, U2, uh, ran Front of House Mixer for them. I'm sure somebody's heard of them. Uh, we'd work with um, various acts, and like I said, I got a pretty good reputation as a sound man. People would say, can you mix this? Can you mix that? Pretty soon it was orchestras, choirs, specialty shows, and we would have to record those. Um, live, is, uh, live sound's always been my favorite because um, you can't punch in, you know, it's like live, it's happening now, and yeah. uh, so you just hope not to make any mistakes, and uh, 
it's high pressure, but uh, it's not really something I mind. But um, really, it just happened through mixing live and being able to go into the studio. I'm pretty technically inclined, um, good with machines, computers and such. So I uh, fell pretty much right into that, and uh, that's how that happened. So what services um, does your company offer currently? So it sounds like you guys do, do a pretty wide range of, of things. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, our, uh, our bread and butter has always been live entertainment. From uh, We started doing uh, services, per se, as a sound company pretty much back in 87. And um, we since sold the, sold the sound system off to, uh, to some other folks. But, um, you know, we, we got into other things, staging, lighting. Uh, the industry was really hot then. We helped open up a, an amphitheater out there. Town. It was called uh, Star Lake Amphitheater at the time. It's called First Niagara now. Um, so our company really was able to help people, and um, you know we're we're not somebody you're going to outwork, and we like to do a really good job. And uh, you know that just uh, that just translated. Everybody's like, well, they're on it. You know, we were fortunate to start in the business at a high level. And, just got more and more contacts uh, with a good national tour service thing, and we'd help you know major bands if they needed instruments, stage, lights, anything. Uh, we had a fairly good network of contacts across the country back then, um, so we could help anybody out pretty much in any city and get them what they needed, and uh, just doing a good job. Uh, that that helps business a lot. <laughs> That's excellent. I honestly had no idea that you guys. Um helped start up the, the Coca-Cola Star Lake there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my vice president at the time was Bob Gentile, and his brother Mike uh, was the very first production manager out there. We did the first show. Uh, Willie Nelson helped open up the place. So a lot of the locals know the, know the pond back there is Willie Nelson Pond. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. All right. Well, Cindy, I guess we'll get into some of the other topics today. <clears throat> And I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about as far as preparing for the studio and some other things some of our local bands might be interested in here. Sure. So I guess we'll start here with our first topic in preparing for the studio. So I guess my first question would be, how does a band know when they're ready to go to the studio? What's, what's your sign there? Well, I guess the key word is there, uh, uh, sorry, the key word there is being prepared. Uh, they know when they're ready to go in the studio when... Uh, the lyrics are written, the music's down, you know, um, they've uh, sat in front of a tape recorder and recorded the song, you know, even if it's just, I mean, if it sounds like crap, you just want to know if the song's going to play through all the way. Uh, you would be surprised how many people come into the studio the day of the session and say, oh, I got this last part of the verse to write, and, uh, you know, they're basically paying me to to uh, watch them write a song, you know, um, you really want to be uh, prepared in the sense that all the parts are down, solos. Um, like I said, sit in front of a tape recorder, record yourself. That actually helps with a little bit of the nerves, too. Um, even if you're just at home by yourself, uh, anybody who's a musician out there knows when you press record, even if you're by yourself, you get a little tense. You're like, oh, I want to get this right. That's great practice for the studio. But Amen to that one. Yeah, Boy, but, boys, that's but, the truth. But do not be writing stuff 
uh, the day of the session. That doesn't impress a producer like me. That just says that you're very unprepared. Uh, music, singing, it's a physical activity, and you need what's called muscle memory. So if you're singing a riff, your throat wants to know how you sing that riff. If you're playing a riff, your fingers want to know how to play that riff. If you, if you, if you just learned it that day, you haven't rehearsed it enough to really do it justice, and you're not really helping yourself. You're hurting yourself. So be prepared. Uh, all those things I mentioned. All right. That is definitely a good place to start. Now, so you talked about muscle memory, having the songs prepared, um, and I, I really, really like the, the tip about recording yourself ahead of time because you're right. That, that feedback is going to make a big difference um, and making sure that you're ready. So what other things, what should a band consider before going into the studio? Like what, what kind of things, like maybe budget or those sort of things? Well, one thing I like to tell people is, you know, what's your goal? Do you want to demo this? Do you want to make a CD? Um, you know, it's, it's always good to find out what's, what the goal of the, of the project is. So if you're just going to demo something, uh, to say present to a, producers such as myself, send out to record labels, what have you. Um, you know, you really don't need a lot, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, I had a friend of mine one time, um, this cat, Jimmy Iovine, he runs Interscope Records, and he tells people all the time, he says, uh, you got a song, hum it to me, you know, and, and they're like, you're not going to get it. There's no band, there's no this. He says, what do you think, I'm an accident? <laughs> you know, a true professional is going to know a good song when they hear it regardless of the form that it's in. So if you're just worrying about making a demo, you know, a piano and a vocalist, a guitarist, something that will get the song across, you know, obviously, but you don't really need much. If you're going to be a band and you're going to want to make a, a CD, you know, you're really going to have to look at it realistically. I mean, if you're a band that's just starting out, probably not a good idea to make a full-length CD. Uh, it's ambitious and, and whatnot, but... Uh, you know, when you look at the overall picture, especially nowadays with the economy, people aren't buying CDs, and to make a full-length CD is a lot of money. So when you think about something like a, uh, a CD for a band, you might want to think like EP, five, six, seven songs, you know. Uh, it's not that much money to make. It doesn't hurt as bad to hand it to somebody as opposed to selling it because um, sometimes you have to send those out, you know. Uh, but it doesn't hurt to send out a five-song CD, whereas if you got like a 10 or 12 song that costs you, you know, 10 grand to make, every one you hand out, you definitely want some money back. Yeah. The EP format is also a uh, less expensive format. I mean, if you're going to record a full CD, 10, 12 songs, and sell it at $5, um, you might think you're doing your fans justice, but business-wise for you, it isn't wise because uh, you're giving away music. And nowadays... Any chance you have to sell a single anything, you, you have to take it. So the five-song EP allows you to keep the price at, say, five bucks. And, uh, you know, a lot more people have $5 in their pocket as opposed to 10 or 12 So it's very affordable uh, all the way around, making it to selling it. That, is, um, that really sounds like good advice, especially for the, <clears throat> for the, for the new and upcoming bands here. Now, you mentioned uh, making a good demo. I, I'd kind of like to explore that, that topic a little bit. What, what really makes a good demo? What, what do you need to, to make a good demo of a song? What would, what would like maybe somebody at the record label be looking for in a demo if you're going to produce one? 
Well, uh, you said record. What would a record label be looking for? So let's address that particularly. Okay. The record label's mission is to make as much money as humanly possible. <laughs> okay, they don't care about it, really anything else. And uh, I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's just their mission is to sell. So right, if you're going to be right, right. So if you're going to be shopping to a record label, you have to have a hook, something that's co- commercially uh, pleasing that you could hear on the radio. You know, so if you're a grassroots band or a folk band, um, you know, you're going to have to maybe uh, get it more commercial sounding, something more on the radio. You know, some people say, or oh, you're going to have to sell out. But if your mission is to make money and get it to the record label, then obviously you're going to have to have a commercial uh, twist somewhat. I mean, you don't have to be completely commercial, but you have to have something that can be played on the radio. Uh, if you don't have that, you know, a record label isn't even going to even look at you. And a lot of people go, well, that sounds like, you know, I don't want to sell out or that's too commercial. Well, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with jamming and, and selling music up on your site. But your question was to get it to a record label, and that's what you have to do. You have to show these people you can make money off me. That really, really makes sense. And I, I honestly never thought about it from that perspective. But you're right, it's so much of a business. Yeah, a lot of people don't, especially uh, especially the um, ones that are just beginning, uh, you know, because they think that it's selling out or it's, uh, you know, we're not being true to ourselves. But in a sense, I mean, if you want to be a musician and you want to be heard on the radio or signed by a record label or um, something more than, say, in your garage, that's pretty much what you're going to have to look for. No, no, that's good. So what are some things then that a band should consider when they're choosing a studio? Well, number one, the studio shouldn't be uh, shy of giving you any kind of like demo material, what they've done. Um, You want uh, perhaps a studio that, um, uh, that you feel good in. Uh, I know there's plenty of recording studios, uh, big studios, we'll call them real recording studios, that I've gone into, and just the, the whole environment is bad. It's not conducive to creativity. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I don't want to say like scenery or feeling, but there are certain things like brightness and stuff during the session, people that uh, perhaps their egos are a little bit bigger than they should be, you know, um, you want a place that, that you're comfortable in, comfortable with the people and a place that you feel that you'll be able to create in because that's what you're going to be doing. Um, I wouldn't look for any place that doesn't give you a sample of their work. Uh, I wouldn't do a place that says, well, you know, we just opened up and we have all this great gear, but we haven't really recorded anybody because um, there's no better teacher than experience. Um, even even college. I mean, I work with interns all the time, and we learned this in school. We learned that in school, and I'm like, well, welcome to real life. You know, this is how it is now. So uh, you really have to look for um, experience, and if you feel like really comfortable with them. What are some of the biggest traps that you see bands fall into in the studio that could cost them extra time and extra money? Well, I mentioned one earlier, finishing the song the day of the session. That's probably the biggest no-no. Um, that's the most expensive one that I've seen. The uh, 
the other big thing I think people get <clears throat> kind of confused in is if you're going into a, a recording studio, and whether it's a home studio or a big studio, they sometimes feel that the engineer there is going to help produce them, and that's really not the case. You know, they're, the engineer at the studio is strictly there to uh, to mix you, to capture your performance, and um, get it into a somewhat of a way to to begin to mix it down, so it so it sounds good. But their job is not to say, you know, what you're a little flat on that vocal, or Maybe you should double track this or, or something like that. They're the engineer, and they're there to record you. So that's probably the second biggest uh, uh, mistake or, um, say, uh, misconception that, that pe- people have. I've heard people go into, man, we went into this great studio, but the sound was just you know, horrible. And I'll say, well, who was the producer? Well, we produced ourselves, or we were hoping that the engineer would help us. And, you know, you're just not going to get that. Well, that trans- uh, transitions very nicely into our next topic here. Our next topic was actually going to be the role of a producer. All right. Great conversation with Tony and Aaron. So that was installment number one. Uh, check back in the next episode, and we'll have another segment for you on that as well. So, and also drop us a line, ironcityrocks at gmail.com or on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Let us know what you thought. Um, we would also appreciate it if you ever get the chance to go on iTunes and leave a rating for the show. That helps us out tremendously. Again, our website, ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks, and youtube.com forward slash ironcityrocks. So, like us, follow us, whatever it is you do on each of these networks, we would appreciate it. Let us know what you think, and uh, we will be bringing you some more exciting content next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 